Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Constitutional Matters with myself, Dhakira Desai, for the fifth episode as we mark the 20th anniversary of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa. As part of a seven-part series, Constitution Matters brings to light a joint venture on progressive constitutionalism by the Voice of the Cape Radio, the National Body of the Students for Law and Social Justice, and the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution. In our previous episodes, we discussed the history of the Constitution, transformative constitutionalism, the right to education, and the limitation of rights. But in this episode, which is quite interesting, we are discussing the right to property, section 25. We do remind our listeners to join the conversation by WhatsApping us on 072-238-0712 or SMSing us on 47913. And joining me in studio is Dr. Aninka Klaassen, Libabalo Nsholo, and attorney Joanna Pickering. Now, Dr. Aninka, let's begin by unpacking the definition of property as prescribed by the Constitution and what your understanding of that is. And then we'll move to uh, attorney Joanna Pickering. Okay, well, um, the Constitution doesn't actually provide a guarantee of existing property rights. What it says is that no one can be deprived of property except in terms of a law of general application. Um, And then it sets out that um, property can only be expropriated in terms of a law of general application. So it sets out the circumstances under which people can be deprived of property and it, it includes the nation's commitment to land reform as, as one of the factors that's in the public interest. And it sets out criteria for that would guide the payment of com- compensation where land is expropriated. And uh, Joanna, if you could make us understand or define what does the word property mean in relation to the next right, which is housing, is there a definition? Um, there isn't a definition per se of property, it's, it's quite broad and it actually specifically states in the constitution that it, it includes things other than land, it's not limited to land, so that might be intellectual property or, or other um, property, but it has become synonymous with land because um, that's where it's been most applicable. And Libabalo, we know that you have been quite um, vocal and quite active in the in research that is done that has been done. Um, what is your take on the South Africa's uh, understanding of the right to property? Well, in as far as uh, Section 25 of the Constitution is concerned, my interest in it is that it is littered with contradictions. Um, yes, Anika mentioned earlier, the, first, the Section 25 one says no one may be deprived of property except in terms of the legislation that may be passed by Parliament. In the same uh, clause, you you have uh, the, the Constitution guaranteeing the right to land reform. So I view that as inherently contradictory, that you cannot have in the same Constitution uh, a sacrosanct protection of private property rights while at the same time you have the nation's commitment to to land reform, because those for me are are contradictions. Um, Because um, 
if we may uh, go and contextualize this, the issue of land and land reform in South Africa is not just a mere issue of redistributive reforms. It is at the center a matter of restorative justice. And that means that I think we all know that the history of land dispossession in South Africa and that the liberation struggle was all about the reclamation of this of land that was stolen um so you the constitution that section in the constitution and the the following sections that that that, that um enjoins the states to pay for la- for land uh, are, are contradictions and do not allow for 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 comprehensive land reform that would uh fit the definition of land reform as a restorative justice matter mm. rather than mm. a mere redistributive justice matter. Now, Dr. Aninka, we know that you yourself have yeah. been quite active in in the process of land reclaim and you've, you've been quite vocal on, the, on, on many um, aspects of this. What can you say with regards to what Lababalo uh, has said? Well, I think Lababalo is absolutely correct that there is a contradiction between entrenching existing property rights when they are the outcome of dispossession and uh, a a land market in which black people were restricted from applying. And I think that that is an inherent contradiction to say property is sacrosanct, but actually the distribution of property that we had in 1994 was the outcome, the direct outcome of processes of, of conquest, dispossession and racial restrictions on ownership. And I think that that's why the property clause attempts to balance this by saying that the right to property is balanced by the need for land reform and these other rights, the right of equitable access, the right to restitution, the right to tenure reform. The problem is that the, that our government hasn't adequately enforced those rights, which are rights that uh, that needed to be asserted given the fundamental contradiction and you know it's it's partly been a matter of political will that um, you've had less than one percent of the budget spent on land redistribution land reform including redistribution restitution and tenure reform mm-hmm. and we've got major glaring gaps here you know there's there's been no law to give effect to this right of equitable mm-hmm. access to land section 25 6 says that people whose tenure is insecure because of past racially of past racial dispossession are entitled to secure tenure or comparable redress mm-hmm. in terms of an act of parliament section 259 says that act must be enact yeah. parliament must enact that law and yet there is no such law for protecting the rights of the 18 million people living in the former homelands mm-hmm. so you know insofar as this was meant to be a measure that balanced that contradiction that Lubavalo talked about, which is a fundamental contradiction. We, these, these other positive rights haven't been adequately mm. enforced or implemented. Now, Joanna, Anink, Dr. Aninka has made mention of this lack of political will or the idea of political will. Do you agree with that and what is used, would you say is the key constraint to re- achieving land distribution? I would definitely agree um, with Dr. Nankatlasens on that, um, that the constraint is not the constitution. The constraint is 
a lack of state capacity, a lack of an adequate budget. So, for example, we haven't spoken about what the Constitution actually says about compensation. And it says that the amount should be just and equitable. And there's a misconception that that means that land must be acquired for market value, but that's not correct. And we've actually seen there was a, a case last year in the Land Claims Court where it, it was held that uh, market value does not have to be the one and only factor taken into account in um, determining how much should uh, how much government should pay for when they acquire land. Um, and in fact, the constitution says that we should strike an equitable ba equitable balance between the public interest and the interests of those affected. And we very much can take into account the history of that property. So we should be um, we should and we can take a purposive approach to the constitution that that puts at the fore the the racial dispossession mm -hmm. um, um, of of land in the past and I, I I think that it is possible for government with adequate political will and and a, a better a budget to acquire land um, that, and, and that just simply hasn't been done. Lubabalo just drawing on what uh, Joanna has said, we know that in recent times, in as, as, as far as far back as February this year, we saw the the Constantiaberg land reclaim. It was quite a landmark case because for over 50 years, these people, 50 years ago, people were fighting for their land, and you know they finally received, or some of them received their land, and we still see that they are claimants for District Six. Do you agree with what uh, Joanna has just said? My parents are land claimants and to this day we haven't received any mm. settlement. So I wouldn't reduce it to a matter of lack of political will, merely, because I, because I think fundamentally uh, the problem with uh, uh, land, the land question in South Africa and as seen in the Constitution is a matter of conceptualization. The manner in which the Constitution conceptualizes land and land reform is problematic inherently. So it's not just lack of political will which leads to political um, hic to, to implementation hiccups. So by merely saying that no one may be deprived of property, um, you are cementing uh, colonial and apartheid land plunder. So, uh, and, and, and Anika said something about the Constitution saying that compensation must be just and equitable. So in a colonial and neo-colonial society such as ours, what is just and equitable? Mm. So how, how do we define legally what is just and equitable compensation? Mm. So I am saying my view is that for a society such as ours that comes from over 300 years of land disposition of plant of matter of black people, we do not, <coughs> we certainly do not need to be bogged down by a constitution mm. that takes people through processes laborious as the one we've just described, mm. where claimants have to prove that they were dispossessed, where they have to go through certain stringent processes of the Land Claims Commission to prove that they were dispossessed. So the burden is on them to prove that they were their victims, they were dispossessed. Mm -hmm. um, but everyone knows uh, that people were dispossessed. There is evidence, mm -hmm. factual evidence that goes back centuries um, that shows that while white people didn't come to this country with land, they possess over 80% of the land now, according to, to statistics. Mm. That can't be right. So we need a restorative justice, and it can't be done within the parameters of the Constitution now.
Thus, there's no one will be deprived of property, and that further enjoins government to pay compensation mm-hmm. for land, for reclaiming stolen land, basically. Dr. Aninka, just drawing on what Lubabalo has said, we know that um, you mentioned the idea of political will. Does this idea stem, when we say political will, does it refer to the political will of those who have been, whose land has not been returned to them? Or does that political will also lie at the feet of those who stay on that land or who own that land today? Um, because I think it's a two-sided coin of those who own it today and those who, who are fighting for their land. So I was talking about the political will of the government because really, in a way, the government's got to um, act at that at that tense interface between those who've got the land and those who're claiming the land. But you know, just to say that if you unpack these three different clauses, restitution was never meant to have been for dispossession, because as Lubabalo says, restitution is a legal process. And it's cumbersome and you've got to prove that you had rights and you've got to prove that you were dispossessed. So restitution really um, has a cutoff date of 1913. Mm. It was envisaged to be for people who were forcibly removed to address the lawful dispossession. But redistribution, that question of equitable access, that was meant to be about Mm. dispossession. And that's meant to have been a political process, not a legal process. We can continue this very interesting discussion after the break. I don't want to break, you know, anyone's train of thought. So we'll uh, we'll break for an ad break, and when we come back, we'll continue this conversation. To Constitution Matters, I'm your host Dakira Desai, and joining me in studio are very interesting guests Dr. Aninka Klaassen, Lubabalo Cholu, and Attorney Joanna Pickering. We remind our listeners once again if you have any concerns or questions about the Constitution, especially with the regards to Section 25, the right to property, you can WhatsApp us on 072 238 0712 or SMS us on. Four seven nine one three. During the break, Dr. Aninka, you were discussing this issue of the, defini- the, the difference in definition between the restitution and redistribution. Would you like to elaborate on that? Yeah, just to say that you know you could never address uh, dispossession through restitution because restitution is a court-based legal process. Dispossession happened before 1913. And it, it, was, it, it happened through wars, and it happened in a way that obliterated people's histories. And to expect those people to come and reconstruct their histories in order to claim land mm-hmm. would be absurd. So you have this provision about conditions to enable citizens to gain access to land on an equitable basis. And, you know, there, that is, the, that is the, the clause that's meant to give effect to redistribution. The problem really is... The one side of the coin is how do you get the land from those who own it? How do you acquire it? And the other is who do you give it to? And that's where we're seeing very, very worrying trends, where we're seeing that initially after 94, um, land reform was targeted at the poor. There was a means test. If you if you were poor, you would have subsidy, you would get land. And then, you know, under President Mbeki, it, it, the focus changed to commercial farmers. And under the current dispensation, there seem to be no selection criteria, and land reform is actually benefiting 
richer people who have political connections. And, you know, you can't really describe that as equitable or addressing the consequences of dispossession. You need some kind of criteria to mm. to target who the beneficiary should be. And so, you know, on the one hand, there's the question of you need to get the land more cheaply, obviously, than paying market value. And there's obviously, you know, complete inequity in, in paying market value when the land was taken from mm. people for nothing. Um, but on the other hand, you've got this question of who gets it and who is privileged in the process. And, and the worrying thing is, you know, looking at how the budget for land reform has really been redirected away from the poor to elites. And, and you know, how in the process of tenure reform, the interests of traditional leaders have been, have been um, highlighted to the detriment of the rights of ordinary rural people who've inherited houses over generations. Just in the last uh, few seconds before we take our ad break, uh, Lubabalo, do you agree that uh, Section 25 has not recognized uh, the injustices of the past? No, it hasn't. Um, if it has, it would uh, have defined um, land reform for what land reform ought to be, which is the return of land, stolen land back to those from whom it was stolen. So. Uh, mudding the, 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 the terrain with issues such as just and equitable redress um, and, and as Anika said limiting uh, the rights of people who can claim the land to those who were dispossessed in 1913 is a gross injustice to what has happened in this country that has shaped the current nature of land holding um, which has direct I impact to the nature of wealth in this country that's mm -hmm. why black people are the most dispossessed to live in, in red infested and fleurid and uh, squatter camps right now mm -hmm. while white people stay Yokoma Constantia and all these leafy suburbs. It's as a result, a direct result of centuries of land dispossession. So the constitution does not recognize that. Um, and it, it does great injustice to, to the millions of people who are dispossessed in this country. And um, just to, to, to go, go back to what uh, Anika w was saying about uh, the difference between land restitution and redistribution. So land reform currently, the ACE doesn't know what it, what it must do with land reform. Mm. Uh, as defined in the Constitution, it's a three-legged board, restitution, redistribution, and land tenure reform that can, Anika spoke about. Yeah. Um, but they don't know what to do in the in the in the former homelands as she has said you have millions of people who have no definable rights to land mm -hmm. um they just said now uh, the minister of cooperative governance i think it was last week that land in, in communal areas belongs to chiefs which is uh, absolute nonsense mm -hmm. and uh, we haven't like i have said conceptualized properly um who does the land belong to in South Africa? That's the principal question we must ask. Definitely. Yes. So who does the land belong to? So we can't say it belongs to all who live in it because yeah. it means that every Tom Dick and yeah. comes here can say they own the land. Definitely. And I think that uh, most people that are listening, I'm sure, can relate to this discussion. Mm. Um, but we will definitely continue this discussion after our Maghrib prayers. And uh, we encourage everyone to tune in after Maghrib and con you know, message us with your concerns or questions. Uh, many people can definitely relate to this. We've all gone gone through the process of understanding where we where is what is our position in post apartheid South Africa. So stay tuned.
Welcome back to Constitution Matters. I'm your host Dakira Desa and joining me in studio is Dr. Aninka Klaassen, Lubabalu Ncholu and uh, Attorney Joanna Pickering. We remind our listeners if you have any concerns or questions about the Constitution and today we are discussing Section 25 on the right to property, please WhatsApp us on 072-238-0712 or SMS us on 47913. Before the break, Lubabali, you were making a point about whether or not the Constitution recognizes the injustices of the past, and specifically with regard to Section 25. Dr. Aninka, would you like to draw on that? I know you were speaking about this issue of uh, tribal claims. Do you feel that it has the Constitution has recognized the injustices of the past? Look, I think that basic contradiction is there, that if you entrench the outcome of centuries of dispossession as property rights, you've got a problem. Um, I think there are these mechanisms here that were seeking to undo it, and restitution was seeking to undo forced removals as opposed to dispossession. But unfortunately, we've had this kind of rhetoric that restitution should deal with tribal dispossession. And the problem with that is it, it has encouraged and elicited these massive overlapping tribal claims to the whole of Pretoria, Free State, you know, Fengu claiming vast areas, the Tembu claiming areas, all these overlapping things. And in a way that has kind of contributed to ethnic divisions, especially in provinces where people were torn apart through the creation of the homeland, separate Gazankulu from separate um, Labor, separate from um, Venda. And, and people as late as the 70s were torn apart by language and put in these separate homelands. And now to say to them, mobilize to put in tribal claims means you're stirring up the flames of places like Buwani. And, you know, it, it seems to be really focusing on this idea that there were these neatly divided tribes in the pre-colonial mm. South Africa, whereas the reality was a lot more complicated than that. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's not really what restitution was ever designed to be. It was meant to be a a short process for forced removals. Um, so, you know, this whole thing of a pre-colonial land audit, you know, it's, it's really complicated to even begin to try and imagine that because you had the Fekani and you had different groups at different times occupying land, fighting with one another. Would you go back to the very first people? Would you go back and say, who was here first, the Khoi and the San? Mm. Or would you say, at this particular point, this group was here? You know, it's not like... There's a kind of mythology that South Africa was a completely settled, tribally divided South mm. Africa. It was a dynamic place of migration and wars, and um, that seems to miss the point about racial disposition and colonialism mm. and actually take us back into a kind of idea of Khoi and the Sun being separate and the Zulus and the Tosas. And, yeah. and I, I really think that that's problematic and and you, you we're beginning to see these real tensions between say the Tonga and the Venda up in the north over who has the right to put in restitution claims now mm. in 1994 that wasn't the discourse at all it was about how to fix the consequences of the creation of the homelands and the forced removals that dumped people in those very poor areas and how to kind of unpack those areas not to strengthen and consolidate mm. them. Now, Joanna, do you think that 
the government since 1994 over our 20-plus years of democracy has in fact done enough. And we know that Section 25.5 says that a government needs to make reasonable legislative and other measures within its available resources to foster conditions which enable citizens to gain access to land. And in this case, obviously, the redistribution of land. Do you think government has in fact done their measurable um, amount of good to do this? Um, no, I think all of us here would actually agree that they, they certainly haven't and that they've ignored the very reasonable pressure from civil society, from people on the ground to do so and ignored if extremely good um, proposals from people like Aninka and her organisation. Um, and I think that, that that section is broad and it hasn't yet been tested. That's why I think that the constitutional, um, the constitution isn't necessarily the main constraint to achieving land reform because that section is quite, seems to say that the state, firstly it's an imperative, it must take reasonable legislative measures to foster conditions. It also says in um, later in another provision in the same section that um, no provision of the section may impede the state from taking legislative and other measures to achieve land reform. So it's quite explicit and um, I think it can be interpreted very broadly but it's quite clear that the state has failed to do so. And just staying on you, Joanna, we know that uh, Section 25.2 uh, speaks about the property and the fact that property may be expropriated only in terms of uh, the law of general application A. What does this mean? I, I know we don't want to digress, but what does this mean in terms of, you know, getting your, your property that you've now proved that you your family has owned or you have owned? Um, what does that mean for families who are trying to get back their land and they maybe could be someone who is who does own the land or a company who owns the land now? Um, yeah, so that section just generally means that property can be expropriated, i.e. it can be taken away without your consent, but as long as that is done through a law of general application, which means um, a law that applies to the whole nation, such as the Expropriation Act, um, but that expropriation has to be for a public purpose or in the public interest, and those those two phrases haven't we don't know the boundaries of those. Um, I think they could be interpreted broadly. Um, public p public interest is specifically stated to include um, um, land reform. Um, that is one of the, the public interests that must be taken into account, and that's something that we can expropriate for. And then, of course, it also says that that must be subject to compensation, which is either agreed between the parties or approved by court. Mm -hmm. So it can even be compensation that not necessarily a willing buyer, willing seller scenario, but where the court approves that that um, compensation is just and equitable. Lubabalo, just drawing on what Joanna has said, we know that over the years, as we discussed earlier in terms of the, the Constantia Berg issue, uh, the, the, the claimants actually proved that that land was theirs, but uh, residents uh, sort of put up a fight saying that, um, what about traffic congestion? Even though the, the land itself, uh, parts of the land was a landfill, um, do you feel that uh, in terms of expropriation that the government has done enough to say, you know, these are the rights of those who own the land before and they've prov proven it? Because we know that it's, it is an emotionally charged issue. It's, just, it's not just a, a legal matter. Hmm. I, I think you're absolutely right. So it's, uh, I, I spoke earlier about the burden 
burden on the land claimants to prove that they have the right to, to the land. So it goes beyond that. Even after people have proven that this is actually our land, they can pinpoint graves. Uh, so the government still has to go negotiate with landowners, with current landowners, whose ownership of the land is illegitimate because it's a product of colonialism and apartheid, and they must pay, they must compensate those landowners. Um, I think, was it two, two, three years ago, when they settled the Bella Bella land claim? For land restitution, the budget for that year was two billion. They paid one billion for one single claim. So how much longer then would it take to settle all land claims? So we say that um, we must change the constitution to allow for expropriation of land without compensation because it recognizes two things. The first one is that the current ownership of the land is illegitimate. And secondly, that it will take forever. It will take about 100 years to redistribute about 30% of the land to black people if we were to go at the pace we are going today. So the constitution is inherently limiting. And I think we speak in abstract terms here. Uh, uh, Anika spoke about redistribution. If you were to go back even to 1994, they started with a settlement and land acquisition grant for land redistribution. They stopped that and went with the land reform for agricultural redistribution program. But all those programs, even the current one we have now, the Proactive Land Acquisition Strategy, all those programs are directed towards buying farmland for commercial, for aspiring commercial farmers. Uh, so it's for aspiring black elite to get the land and farm. So it doesn't go to the heart of the problem, which is re redressing colonial and apartheid dispossession, which for me would have to entail uh, taking back mm. the land without being those who currently hold it now mm. and giving it to those who are dispossessed. I know that Anika would say how, because she asked, how do we define who was dispossessed? How do we mm. give, who, who do we decide to give the land back to? Mm. Well, the land is a, is a is common property. It should not, it should not be in private hands in the first place. That's my view. It's common property. Uh, privatization of land ownership is um, leads to all the problems we now have in this country. So there should be so socialized ownership of land um, for it to be redistributed equitably to amongst those from whom it was stolen. Just quickly, we have a WhatsApp in. Uh, perhaps I could direct this to you, Dr. Aninka. Mm. It is not necessarily related to the issue of uh, land reclaim, but it is a request for advice. The person says, this is 1488, he's, uh, the person says, I, div I am divorced now for six years. Uh, we are married in community of property. We haven't sold the property as yet. Uh, the property is registered in both our names. My X is going ballistic now as uh, he wants as she wants to sell the property he insists that i don't have a share in the immovable immovable property uh, your advice on this um Joanna can probably answer better than i can but i yeah. think if they're married in community of property they they each own half of it mm. and if it were sold uh then they would each have to get half of it or one the one who keeps it would have to pay the other one out but I mean, I want to come back to what uh, Lubabalo said, which is, you know, that he doesn't think land reform can be done within the constraints of the Constitution. I, I think it can be. And I think if the government hasn't used the potential in the Constitution, as it could have and should have, 
then I don't think that problem is going to be solved by amending the Constitution because I think, much as I never thought I would say this, there are certain protections here. So, for example, in 2004, the government passed a law called the Communal Land Rights Act in which it sought to transfer ownership of land to traditional leaders or communal land, whereas actually their people, their black landowners who purchased that land before 1913, mm. and their people who'd got land through redistribution, and and we could challenge that law on the basis that it would abrogate those land rights. It, it would be a taking of those people's property because it would empower the state to simply take it away from them and give it to traditional leaders. So I think one does have to have some mechanism that deals with vested rights and processes. But my primary point is who gets the land? Mm -hmm. And unless you have targeted land reform programs which have targeted standards about what's equitable. So for example in the cities, it seems to me that to provide RDP houses in badly situated areas is just entrenching spatial inequality compared mm -hmm. with giving people well situated land inside the cities. So I think we've got to really look <clears throat> at this terrible legacy of spatial inequality, both between the shacklands and the cities and the suburbs, and between the former Bantustans and the rest of South Africa, and look at the barriers that lock certain people into privilege and lock certain other mm. people out. And one of those barriers is people having no secure land rights. Mm. And, and actually what we're seeing here is a second wave of dispossession. We're seeing government undermining the rights of the mm. most vulnerable South Africans living in the former homelands. And in that context, I'm afraid to say, Lubabalo, the property clause is a protection for those people against a process which is kind of elite enrichment. Mm. Lubabalo, <laughs> uh, you are center stage at the moment. <laughs> Just drawing on uh, what Dr. Aninka has said, uh, she mentioned very important things that uh, has been on the table for years in South Africa, and this draws to the issue of gentrification. And we, we have the issue of Tafelberg, we have the issue of so, you know, people that need to have access to work in the inner city, putting being placed on the on on the outskirts of the city, uh, like your Blakizor community. Um, would you say that it is correct to claim that class-based discrimination is the new apartheid? Look, it's easy to say the, the the class and race easily intertwine in South Africa. So the people who are kicked out of the city center now are, are black people. Mm. Uh, even in the Western, black people, I mean black, uh, African colored and, and, and Indian. So it's a, we've had racial capitalism for a very long time in this country. So the center of it, it all is that those who apartheid kicked out of town were black, and those that they kept in, in the city center were white. So any reform that doesn't deal with the question of mm. race in as far as land redistribution is concerned is not going to be dealing with the matter. Mm. Just in our last moment of uh, the show, I know it's been, it's, we've gone through it quite quickly. There's this big question, and I'd like everyone just to give about 15 seconds a yes or no answer. Should Section 25 as a whole be scrapped from the Constitution because its protection of, of private property hinders land reform? Or is it possible for land to be redistributed with the section as it stands? We can start um, with you, Joanna. All right, I'll 
I my position, which is probably clear from what I've said, is that I don't think that it needs to be scrapped. And I just want to add one thing, which is that I don't think that it only protects private property. It doesn't actually say so. It protects customary mm. forms of property, as an income mentioned as well. So it it can be achieved within the current framework. It must definitely be amended. I am of the strong view that it must be amended and it must be amended in a manner that answers the question fundamentally who does South Africa belong to. Hmm. And Dr. Aninka? I think that we haven't made enough effort to use this. So I don't think we can we can say that it's failed. But I think insofar as these other rights aren't properly implemented, the right to unenforced, the right to restitution, the right to tenure security and the right of equitable access. I think we have an untenable situation which puts the whole clause at risk. So I think unless government takes those countervailing rights seriously and enforces them, we will lead to a situation where all property is equally at risk. And uh, we have not reached a consensus, but we can say that this has been a quite an interesting discussion. And we hope that in future we can continue it. Um, that is a wrap of a really interesting discussion. And we thank our guests, uh, Dr. Ninka Klaassen, Lubabalun Cholo, and Joanna Pickering, for coming in after a long, days of, a long day of work. And we encourage everyone to tune in to Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM next week at 6 p.m. for the sixth episode of Constitutional Matters. You are listening to Constitutional Matters with myself, Dakira Desai. Assalamu alaikum and good evening. <laughs>